Your day has just begun. Yeah. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag BYU. You know, we're, we're, we're going to try to get there by Sunday and, and, you know, enjoy the Sabbath as much as we can there. And then Monday we'll walk through and, and uh, but not a lot of time for, for a lot of extracurricular activities. We're, we're going to be limited in our travel and, and, and you know, we're just going to go out there and try to win the game. That's the, the, the main deal that we're going out to do. And so I think with everything going on with the pandemic, it's going to be a way different type of atmosphere. But uh, just the focus is the game itself. Kalani Sataki has been to a lot of bowl games as a coach, went to bowl games as a player. This one's going to be different, but is it going to be a WPK? The most important thing, do they beat the UCF Knights tonight in the roofclaim.com Boca Raton Bowl? (laughs) I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't either. (laughs) I saw it yesterday, and I thought, okay, that'll get a laugh. (laughs) Roofclaim.com. What do I need to claim about my roof? It got damaged, and I need insurance? What happened? The 60-mile-an-hour winds ripped some shingles off it. What am I roof cleaning? Well, if that's what you need to do, you know, you can get a new roof through the insurance, so that would work. Yeah. Roofclaim.com, people. I guess that's why they sponsor the bowl game, so we know they're out there. I don't, I don't know what they do. UCF 6-3 and three this year. They lost their big games, though, PK. They lost the big ones. That's a fact. Yeah, the three games that they lost were all the three teams that finished ahead of him. Uh, new guy, Eric, I am hearing my, myself over and over again, so you need to figure out a way to stop that. Feedback, uh, reverb, <laughs> reverb. Uh, yeah, so you're going you're gonna to have I'm gonna to I'm going to have to talk because this is going to be hard for you to handle right now. Uh, to PK's point, they lost to the teams in front of them. They finished fourth in the uh, American Athletic Conference. Cincinnati. Tulsa and Memphis, uh, who are 9-0, and 6-2, and 7-3. and Those are some, some pretty good marks right there. And they beat them, and it was all high-scoring games. So uh, BYU is going to give up points tonight. I think if BYU holds, uh, holds UCF to 28 points or less, they win this game. That's a great number for the defense to shoot at. There's a lot of talent. You just heard us uh, talking with the beat writer who covers them. And uh, they are missing their top receiver. But they've got three or four, statistically, they got three or four good receivers. They're committed by running back. They got three running backs. They got a good quarterback. So he even likes their tight end, who statistically isn't all that, but, you know, our eyes aren't on the game. And he can make plays too. So they've got a, a ton of guys who can make that happen. On the defensive side of the ball, though, they're a mess. They give up a lot of yards and they give up a lot of points, even when they win. USF is terrible. Uh, USF finished 0-7 on the conference and 1-8 overall. So that's a bad football team. They beat USF 58-46. to So we can sit here and tell you they outscore people, but, man, when you beat a 1-8 team 58-46, your offense gets it done and your defense doesn't. That's the bottom line. So for the BYU offense, this is a chance to go up and down the field, put up big stats, gain a lot of yards, score a lot of points, celebrate in the end zone a lot. And you better because – you're going to need uh, 
to, to beat them, you got to get into the 30s. Cincinnati beat them 36-33. Memphis beat them 50-49. And Tulsa beat them 34-26. So you got to do something in the 30s offensively. And honestly, you want to do a little more than that. All right, BYU head coach Kalani Sataki has been named as a finalist for the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award. Obviously, the Cougars 10-1, ranked 16th in the country. BYU, the only FBS team in the country, currently ranked in the top 10 in scoring offense, scoring defense, total offense, and total defense. So they got all the stats. But PK, isn't this going to go to a coach who's got an undefeated team right now? Uh, Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, Makes sense to me. So, good to be nominated. Good to have your name in the conversation there. But, uh, you know, Fickle at Cincinnati might be set up to win that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they just give it to somebody who wins the national championship. But those guys do it all the time. So, I don't know if they'll actually, uh, if they'll actually get in on that or not. But, uh, all right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hashtag NBA. All right, the NBA tips off tonight. Got a doubleheader. Lakers and Clippers. Nets and Warriors. Nets star Kevin Durant will make his regular season debut for the Nets. Ready to see these games tonight? The the first game will be Warriors and Nets. 5 o'clock on TNT. So, Kevin Durant versus Golden State. It's funny because I kind of think that with Golden State, that... I've got the West mentally divided into seven teams I know are good and then eight teams, you know, we'll kind of see how they sort it out. And I thought Golden State would be a playoff team. And, you know, everybody's got a preview and everybody's opinion and it's worth the paper it's written on. But the Associated Press puts Golden State 10th in the mix, but not in the playoffs automatically. Steph Curry will try to shoot the Warriors back into the playoffs, but it won't be easy with Klay Thompson set to miss a second consecutive season. So... Got, got the Warriors a little lower than I thought there. They have the Jazz at fifth, Portland fourth, Clippers third, Denver second, and, of course, the Lakers in the top spot. You buying the Warriors as, uh, as number 10 in the West, or do you think they're a little better than that? Oh, I think they're way better than I think they're a playoff team. I don't care what some guy from the Associated Press says. I mean, it's just one opinion. Yep. If I'm going to look at that roster of the mainstays of the Warriors – uh, think that Thompson would be the one that I would want to have injured because not that he certainly I want him to want I don't want him to be injured but I also think that he's the most easiest replaces the most replaceable I would think so yeah based on the roster that they have Warriors and Nets at five Clippers and Lakers at eight o'clock uh, after cursory talks about a James Harden trade, the Miami Heat have moved on and will not pursue the Rockets store. Sources Stars. tell ESPN. Miami is one of the teams that have the type of package of young prospects that the Rockets have been seeking. Miami, uh, you know, they can move uh, Tyler Hero. They can move Duncan Robinson. They can move Kendrick Nunn. Uh, they've got veterans and final years of their contracts. So it seems like there's a possibility of a trade there. But Miami likes their young guys more and they're going to hold on to them which I think I would do if I were Miami, too. It looked like they had a good thing going. Do you trade all of that for Harden and uh, get older when you've collected all that young talent? And you're able to win in the bubble with that young talent. 
Adam Silver has acknowledged the possibility of looking into expanding the NBA from 30 to 32. Well, we've already seen the NFL has gone to 32 teams, so why not add two more in the middle of a pandemic? That's a lot of money, PK. I don't know what you pay for an expansion team, but if the well, Jazz are $1.66 billion, expansion team, at least a billion, maybe more? Yeah, I think obviously Seattle deserves a team that it got ripped out from underneath them. They've always been an NBA-supporting city. Uh, we've had other places that have gotten city or teams. You know, Charlotte obviously got one after, uh, where'd they go, to New Orleans? And so yep. it seems like in New Orleans got one after they went to Utah. I don't remember the, the time frame, the difference, but Seattle seems like an obvious team that you should be going to play, or an obvious location, I should say. And then how about Vegas? Uh, that's what I was about to say. That's like Vegas is the Vegas is the hot city. I mean, there are other cities, you know, Kansas City, I guess, could be one. I mean, there are other places you can go, but, yeah, Vegas jumps out at you. Oh, yeah, with all those games and the gambling and, you know, you're playing almost uh, not every night, obviously. It's not like baseball. But uh, because there's nothing more fun to go watch, sit in the sports book and watch team guys bet on NBA games and see some no-name dude hit a three-pointer off the bench with four seconds to go in the game whatever the line is just changes and the place either erupts it erupts uh with uh multitudes of emotions and they've already got that arena i've been in that arena to see uh, professional sports i've been in that arena to see music i've been in that arena to see college uh, it seems like vegas you know for years and years had boxing in the nfl and some crappy unlv teams and so uh, I think that the pro sports has finally come around that of all the places to have gambling, Vegas is the place to do it uh, because it can be monitored. Everything they do is recorded and monitored and all that stuff. So I don't have any problem if they want to expand. Sure, I don't know that the talent pool is deep enough. But at the same time, we're seeing so many folks come over from various parts of the world, and they're not just these uh, one-trick pony players. They're very, very good. We've seen it. We've seen it a million, not maybe a million times, but we've seen it many times here recently. It used to be, you know, as a big man, white guy shooter or what have you. Well, now you look at a Doncic, the guys that do it all kind of player, and that's only going to increase, not decrease. Uh, I totally believe that, yeah. For a while there, it did seem like uh, 85% of the players who were coming over were 6'10", soft, and shot three-pointers. Yeah. Didn't rebound a lick. Couldn't really stay in front of anybody. But you're right, that's changed. I don't know. I guess we can throw out all the cities that have pro sports that don't have the NBA. The NBA has largely stayed away from cities that had the football-baseball combo. Well, not largely. Uh, But they have come to Utah and San Antonio and Portland and Sacramento and Memphis and Oklahoma City. So they've kind of done their own thing and stayed away from the football-baseball combos. Uh, But I, I would assume that if there were expansion now, there'd be a long list of billionaires trying to put teams into Cincinnati or Pittsburgh or Baltimore or Tampa Bay. So, well, Baltimore, you've got one right down the Washington, road. Right down the road. And, you know, Tampa Bay, there's a team in Orlando. Um, and then you've got one just a little north to Philadelphia. So yep. you'd be squeezing something in there. I'm not sure there's a big window. I mean, and then you can go with the jokes and maybe you send an NBA team to Sacramento. hey All right. <laughs> Send one to San Diego. Southern California needs a third, needs a third team. Booner said back in the day he never minded the San Diego road trips in the middle of the winter, laying yeah, by the pool in San Diego. I don't know that that was Ron Boone exclusive. Yeah, right. <laughs> Booner, Booner wasn't on an island of one at that point. 
When I worked for the Watchdog, the greatest trip every <laughs> single year yeah, was one. when uh, the teams, BYU and Utah, would play San Jose State and Hawaii. Because of the time difference, you wouldn't go to Hawaii. So in the dead of winter, I would go down, because I was the college basketball dude, I would go down and cover both BYU and Utah, and what? I would stay in San Diego for, for five, five days. days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You talk about, man, that's like getting a spring break. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the deal. Good times. Yeah. All right, well, we'll see what they do for expansion. It's uh, 32 is obviously an easy number to schedule, and it's uh, a lot of money. And there's going to be a line of cities that are interested. So, yeah, I guess it comes down to if you put two teams in there and you spread the talent more, you know, you've got some of these teams that have been way down for a long time. How do they keep some teams from staying on top and some teams from staying on bottom? Is it just competent management? Do they have enough dominant players? But, you know, it's, it's a little bit like the salaries, PK. If you take the top 32 players in the game and you were to put one on every team and you orchestrate it to smooth it out as much as possible, how big a gap is there between whoever gets num- player number one and whoever gets player number 32? I mean, someone's got to have player 32 – and are you just are you basically screwed at that point because the talent gap with the best player is so big? Okay, how's that any different with team thirty, player thirty? What's and different they, there? They may come to the, they may come to the conclusion uh, it's not, and this is going to be several billion dollars. You know, if you're doing two teams and you get one point five billion for it, that's three billion dollars divided by thirty teams. Everybody gets a hundred million dollars for raising their hand and saying yes, I approve. I see. I what what I think the league needs to do on this is to make sure they don't find a location that fits desires beyond basketball. What do you mean? So they they can't pick, uh, you know, the, the, just the south of France or something, it's some <laughs> Greek island. You know what I mean? I'm just I'm using the extreme example. So what they don't want to do is create a super team location. So you say Pittsburgh, for instance. Mm-hmm. All right, Pittsburgh in the winter is not a glamorous location. Yeah. So if you want to go play ball in Pittsburgh, it's because you want to play ball, not because, oh, let's go there because it's like South Beach or what have you, that type of thing. Yeah, I can see that. I, I'd be more worried about going the other way, that uh, there's an owner who comes in with money and you really want the owner and you go to the wrong city. I think there's a pretty strong argument that the NFL going to Jacksonville was not a great idea. I think there's another argument that the NBA went to Vancouver. Now, some people think they pulled out of Vancouver too quickly. I don't, I don't know all of that. Uh, but they went to Vancouver, and they did pull out pretty quickly went to Memphis. Now, is that because they gave up on Vancouver too early, or is that because they never should have gone to Vancouver in the first place? You know, I don't know the answer to that. So that's where your point where we started with this is go to Seattle because that's going to work. You know, call them the Sonics, put them in the right colors, and that's a slam dunk. You know, now where, where do you go with Team 32? You know, can Vegas support all these teams if they've got if they've got hockey and they got football? Do they need basketball too? Well, no one needs basketball. Would they support it? Would be a better way to yes. phrase it. All yeah. right, DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Pittsburgh Steelers beaten again after 11 straight wins. 
11 straight. The Steelers have now lost three in a row, and it was the lowly Cincinnati Bengals. That was just Steeler turnover, Bengals score. Steeler turnover, Bengals score. Steeler turnover, Bengals score, and it was 17-0, and the Bengals hold on and win it 27-17. Not exactly covering themselves in glory there with all those turnovers, PK. Yeah, the Steelers, man. Uh, This is really, really weird to be as good as you were, and then, you know, you can lose some ball games, but to lose to a Joe Burrowless Cincinnati Bengals, man, that just seemed really, really bizarre. And they had those turnovers, and then they get back in the game, but then they don't get a stop. The Bengals score a touchdown that was not produced by or directed or led by turnovers. Uh, you know, I guess if you're going to have a slump, better to have it now than in the postseason. Yeah, a little scary to have it this late in the year, although they threw up a graphic last night that the Saints were 13-0, lost three in a row, and then won the Super Bowl. So, yeah, figure out your problems. And and the running game had been a problem, and you were sick of hearing it, but they figured out their problems. You know, Benny Snell, 18 carries, 84 yards, that's good enough. Uh, But the turnovers just crushed them. There were so many short fields for the Bengals there. So now Cleveland's got a shot at winning that division, and that seemed unbelievable. We thought I was sure the Steelers are going to be the one seed or the two seed with Kansas City, and now Buffalo could catch them for the two seed, and they could end up winning their division but being the three seed, and they could also just lose the division outright to Cleveland and go in as a wild card. So it's all up in the air now. No Pro Bowl this year, but they did announce uh, Pro Bowl rosters. Chiefs, Ravens, Packers, and Seahawks, seven per team. Fred Warner. The former BYU Cougar is a pro bowler. Bobby Wagner, the former Utah State Aggie, is a pro bowler. Uh, Pro bowl rosters, so guys get their bonuses, but no game cluttering up our TV, PK. (laughs) The pro bowl game, the least watchable football game of the year. Uh, Yeah, I don't pay attention to it. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah State. Brock Miller to Bearstow, down low to Kata. Kata bounce pass oh, yes. to Anderson. Oh, ho, ho. Anderson throws it down. One-handed violent dunk, Alfonso Anderson. Ooh, if you do not have a chance to see a replay of that, you need to go find it. Alfonso Anderson, nasty one-handed dunk. Assisted by the big man. Yes. That was literally a laugh for PK. Scotty G. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Utah State beat San Jose State 107. That was Santa Claus. 107 to 62. A 45-point thrashing of the Spartans. The football magic not carrying over to the basketball team. Mountain West Conference football champs undefeated. But basketball, apparently, is going to be a long year for the Spartans. Well, if I were the Spartans, I'd hire Brennan, the football coach, coach Boom. basketball. Justin Bean led the way, 16 points, 11 rebounds, four assists. Now they're playing games uh, in pairs. So there will not be, Utah State will not return the visit to San Jose. San Jose State just stays in Logan and they play again tomorrow night. And then after that, Utah State will go off for a pair of games at New Mexico, the Mountain West. Trying to limit no, travel no. here in the pandemic. In Lubbock, not at New Mexico. Oh, you're right. Yes, they did move that to Lubbock. Scotty G was discussing uh, <laughs> Lubbock dining options on Twitter last night. Also, BYU gets a win. They beat Texas Southern 
Uh, Brandon Averett, 30 points. Alex Barcelo, 10 points, 10 assists. And BYU up by 10 at halftime. And uh, they rolled to the win. They are now 8-2. and two. Take anything from that game, or that was just a uh, just a tune-up? Good for them. Well, I think it was good for Averett to find a shot and score some points because obviously that's going to be a bonus. And I like the way they're playing, still looking for Harms, finding him to be an effective inside player, getting him the ball where he can score. It's clear the guys have been doing that. I've been saying that for a little bit now. I feel like it's the same thing, and uh, they need to get on with it. What uh, I think they start uh, next week, conference play. They got Weber on Wednesday, so again, another, correct. Another, another and then chance. They're all for a week, and uh, yeah. they play. I think Pepperdine is their first game. Uh, the Utes were supposed to play today, but the Arizona State game is postponed. So, if you're looking for college basketball today, Colorado's playing Grand Canyon, and that's one of PK schools. So, check out the Pac-12 Network tonight at nine o'clock. All right, T-Mobile Arena in Vegas, baby. Your antelopes are going big time. Yeah. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, Dylan Colley is going to join us at 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll talk football with him on the, uh, on the morning of the bowl game. We'll talk with former BYU wide receiver, get his thoughts on what should be a, a high-scoring game tonight with BYU and UCF. Also coming up, we got the question of the day. If BYU wins its bowl game, how can you knock an 11-1 season? We'll talk about that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Myself, my name is the Jazz, the Utes, the Cougars. When it comes to the teams that you're passionate about, these guys have got you covered. Hi. This, this is DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Question of the day. If BYU wins the bowl game, they are 11-1. and one. How do you knock... An 11-1 season. Let's hear it, Ute fans. <laughs> that is a post that we got multiple times. Although I thought Scott had the uh, had a very good post. Don't count your chickens, dot, dot, dot. They're not 11-1 oh, no, not yet. They're not 11-1 yet. And nope. UCF could outscore you. You know, if, if you think For it's sure. impossible that uh, – that the you know final score UCF forty one BYU thirty eight, uh, I think Kalani Sataki if he were here would come over and knock you upside the head. <laughs> He's worried about losing to UCF forty one thirty eight. You know they UCF will score points BYU will score points, but you have a few turnovers. You give them some momentum and stuff's going against you. Can you lose a shootout to these guys? Absolutely. That's funny you say that because if I were going to make a prediction, I think I might go UCF forty one thirty seven is what I was thinking in my mind. 
So, and you, you, we, you practically nailed the exact same thing, obviously one point difference. That's what I would suspect. I mean, you never know what it's going to turn out. The old Bronco Mendenhall line rings in my ears for many, many years because he says, I think I know all week. And then I get in the mid middle of the first quarter and I realize wait, the way I thought this game was going to play out, it's not playing out at all. And it's not like you just abandon stuff and start drawing up stuff in the dirt. You don't want to do that because that's just, and that has been done at BYU, and that sends a horrible message to your team that, oh, it is panic mode, forget everything we practiced, and let's just change everything on the fly, and that's the last thing you want to have happen. But the complexion of the game, the way you think it might be, isn't always going to be that way. Sometimes it is, a lot of times it is, but there's an opportunity for times that it isn't. So for here, we think it's going to be high scoring because you look at that UCF offense, and it looks legit, I mean, I realize they got one player who opted out a receiver, but it seems like they got three or four other guys that are just as capable, and they just need the opportunity to be the go-to receiver, and they'll be fine. And you look at all the scores, and, you know, they're scoring points in their defeats. They're scoring points, so it stands to reason they're going to move the ball. BYU's offense moved the ball well enough except for one game. Uh, even in the, the UTSA, you know, it wasn't high scoring for them, but they still moved the ball. Uh, so I suspect they're going to be able to move the ball here too. Uh, so I'm not counting it as a guaranteed win by any stretch of the imagination. This is now that I've gotten past the fact that, oh, I wanted them to have the New Year's Day Bowl and it was somewhat of a letdown that they didn't get it and then they didn't get a P5. I've gotten past that now because I've had time to think about it. And this particular this year team with UCF doesn't have the big fancy record. But UCF is a pretty good program. I don't think anybody can deny that. They can compete Power 5 in many, many conferences, if not all the conferences. They may not win it for sure. I'm not saying that. But saying they can compete, I mean, you look at what the programs put out there. How could you say they couldn't be competitive in really literally every conference? The only conference that I may have a question is the SEC. There's no question they can compete favorably in every other Power Five Conference. So this is a worthy representative. So now that we've gotten to this point, I'm excited for this game. Last four years, UCF's combined record, 41 wins, seven losses. Let that sink in. 41 and seven over the last four years. So they've got talent, and I think they could compete in the SEC too. I don't think the middle of the SEC is that good. Would they compete with the top of the SEC? Probably not. Most people don't. You go up against Alabama, you're probably going to lose in any given year. LSU, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, you know, of those four teams, probably two or three of them are pretty good, right? LSU's down this year, but mm-hmm. Florida, Texas A&M. Florida seems to, oh yeah, Texas A&M. Um, but Missouri went 5-5 five and five in the SEC this year. So if they were given Missouri's schedule, could they go 5-5? Five and five? And Missouri didn't beat Alabama, and Missouri didn't beat Florida, you know, but they beat Vanderbilt and Kentucky and, Miss- and uh, who else did they get? I don't know. But, you know, you get the point. I just don't think the the middle, the the bottom third of the SEC, certainly they could, but I think even the middle third, they'd win their share of games. Okay, I don't have any problem with that. You get to the top third, now now it's a stretch, you know, maybe in a big year. But Well, certainly in their part of the country, they can compete in the uh, ACC because there isn't a top third. There's only a top one. (laughs) That's right. One, maybe two, you know. But North Carolina, UCF, uh, Miami, UCF, I want to see those games. 
Uh, and those are the same. I'm, I'm not counting Notre Dame. This is a one-off with Notre Dame in the league. So, Yeah. So th- this, is a, this is a very, very good program. And as I say, as I got past the disappointment of what could have been, I'm absolutely fine with this bowl. I mean, it's, it's not about a bowl. It's about a, comp- a competition and an opponent. So we, we call it a bowl because that's who they're playing. But if they were scheduling UCF in the middle of October or if they ever got the, an opportunity to play them in November, we would think, wow, that's a great November game for the Cougars because the schedule usually gets lighter as the season progresses. And if they could find a way to schedule them, if it would have been late October in November, we would think, yeah, that's a representative opponent, man. That's a good game. So why wouldn't we think the same thing in a postseason? I'm not saying they're going to win by any stretch. However, if they do win, getting back to the original question, if you go 11-1, and I don't understand how you can't declare this a very successful season. And I understand the scheduling. We know that. But nevertheless, still 11 wins against only one loss. How do you not declare that a very good season? Michael says, is this a rhetorical question or a challenge? <laughs> it's a well, it's challenge. Not rhetorical, no, because we want an answer. Yeah. Rhetorical means don't answer it, right? Brian kind of avoided the question. He says, I wish they would have played Army. Army's 9-2. and two. Really? Why? Army in the regular season as opposed to UCF in a bowl game? I don't see much difference. John says, I am at the game site. Go Cougs. Right, good for you being at the game site. Hope says it's simple. Look at the schedule. And then Eric. Corner Canyon went undefeated two years in a row. They're currently the best team in BYU's division. Yeah, I think they've gone undefeated three years in a row, haven't they? So let's not Yeah, I think you're right. Year. I think you're right, yes. I know they are. Yeah. Because since they employed the world's best PE teacher, they haven't lost a game. And that's clear. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Mrs. K gets the credit. Well, when she wasn't there, they lost a semifinal by one point. So, yeah, facts they, are facts. Well, when she wasn't there, they sucked. Look <laughs> <laughs> at you go. And now they're, they're undefeated. The first year she was there, they won the basketball championship, too. <laughs> And her, her uh, basketball coach is one of her buddies. <laughs> Brad says, honestly, if Utah had that same record with the same type of schedule, BYU fans would be up in arms denigrating Utah season. But regardless, the why is head and shoulders better this year than of late, so why fans should feel good about their trajectory right now. That's probably the least debatable thing. Is this BYU team better than the 7-6 and six team Last year, the seven and sixteen uh-huh. last year, right? Are those losses. To- well, it's the same guys, and they're uh, another year older. And Zach Wilson is healthy this year. And you know, just because you're another year older doesn't mean you're better. But in a lot of times, specifically from the quarterback position, that does mean something because it's about knowledge and the proverbial game slowing down and all that stuff. Plus, you combine Zach's ability now health-wise, which he didn't have last year, and then with his knowledge and being on the same page with the coaches, they're a year together. He's clearly substantially better 
than he was last year, and I don't think anybody can argue. And then, of course, we have the ultimate X factor, man. He used uh, what? A si- he rode his bike down to Southern California in every the, third hour in the and snow. worked with John Beck. In the snow, uphill both ways. Well, yeah, because he went over the Donner Pass to get there. People don't know that. Crazy. <laughs> Well, he heard the problems that you had in the snow going to Vegas uh, through Beaver. And, I mean, you stayed overnight at the Beaver Temple. But, you know, on a, on a bike, he was just worried about that. So he just figured, well, I'll just handle Donner And Pat. just to get his conditioning, Beck would meet him at Catalina Island and require Wilson to swim out there. So basically it was a triathlon. Butterfly. It was a triathlon. Butterfly. Not <laughs> Butterfly. just a free stroke or what do they call it? The crawl. Just regular swimming. Freestyle. <laughs> Freestyle, yeah. yeah. No, they made him do butterfly, which is the hardest stroke. <laughs> a year ago, they would have lost that Houston game. All those horrible fourth quarters that they had at Toledo, South Florida, and Hawaii. And they went to Houston, and they were in trouble on the road against a group of five team, and they won the fourth quarter 22 to nothing. At Boise State, they, com- they competed and beat Boise State at home. They went to Boise State and crushed them on the blue turf. So there's no way uh, there's no way to argue that they're way better than last year. They are, absolutely they are. Yeah, there's no qu- there is really literally no question. I don't think anybody's arguing that though, are they? Ryan says when you lose to Coastal Carolina, what do you want us to say? It seems that loss validates the criticism of the other wins. No question, BYU had a good team this year, but not that good. Well, what is that good? I yeah, I don't know. That's about to... what I was going to say. So they shouldn't be ranked 16th. They should be ranked 25th, or they should be among others receiving votes. What do you, you want to give them a B minus instead of an A minus? What does that good I mean? Would, that's debatable because he's already acknowledging that they're a good team, and that's all we're saying that they are a good team. Uh, you know, that good remains to be seen, and I and I still contend to go undefeated almost against virtually any schedule at the college ranks is very difficult. Uh, we, we see it. That's why well, no team in the Pac-12, we just concluded, now this was a debauchery of a season, but nevertheless it goes down as its 10th season, and no team has gone through undefeated in its conference schedule. None. Now plenty have gone through undefeated in its non-conference, but no one has gone through, whether they're playing nine ball games or six in the case of seven this year, whatever, depending on what the, the teams were. No one has gone through undefeated. So I think going through undefeated for most teams, you take a look at Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma, if you were to go, that's why I would love to see to just have the uh, automatic bids. Because I think Oklahoma, I can make a strong case for Oklahoma being second best in the country right now. They lost early. They had a freshman quarterback, a redshirt freshman quarterback, a kid from Phoenix. And obviously they weren't prepared at that time. But look at the way they're playing now. They're playing really, really good football. So they didn't go undefeated. But is anybody if, – if BYU were to play Oklahoma in a bowl game right now and beat them, would anybody say, well, Oklahoma's lost two games? No. Because they're really good. It's hard to go undefeated. 
Alabama does it, and LSU had the super team last year. Yeah, the SEC people who go crazy, and who knows what they do. You know, with, uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens with uh, LSU, and they're clearly overlooking stuff for the sake of winning at all costs. And the teams in the West, I don't think they're ever going to do that. The team, Darren Carrington got kicked off of Oregon where if he was at LSU, would any of that have registered? Any of it. Any of it. So they no. win at all costs. Yes. And generally, I mean, LSU did go undefeated last year, but what are we going to have? One, maybe two undefeated teams a year, if that. And I mean, Urban Meyer from that part of the country. Urban Meyer had three national championship teams at win-at-all-cost schools, yeah. and every one of them lost a game. And they were the national yeah, and champs. He had, and he had thirty-some guys arrested. Yeah. So yeah, if you're willing to do that, but the rest of us aren't. So as it relates to BYU, it's hard to go undefeated, and particularly when you ask them to get on a plane with 48, 72 hours notice advanced at best, I should say, and they came up a yard and a half short. So I'm going to use that game as the ultimate litmus test, and I'm not going to consider anything else. That doesn't really seem right. Nate in South Jordan tweets at us, you can't knock it. They were awesome. The knock goes towards the College Football Tournament Committee and pollsters that don't prioritize win-loss record over conference, and in statistical fairness, won't rank them all properly. Okay, well, this – this stupid stuff with the committee, once you put something on it on television, and I don't care what it is, it becomes entertainment, and it becomes ratings-based. And you, of all people who talk about ratings incessantly, should understand, and you do understand. It's not like you don't understand it. No, I'm it's sitting here waiting to agree. Show. I'm sitting here waiting to agree with you. The yeah. one, If you're looking for yeah. constants from this selection committee, they pick brand names, and they will – contort themselves and use any measurement to get the brand names there because they're trying to make as much money it goes back to what's the dude the bald-headed dude Feinbaum said last year nobody wants to see utah well we were outraged by that and i was outraged by that but if you strip away the emotion he's right it's entertainment and do you want to see notre dame or do you want to see cincinnati there's no question who you want to see. Now, I expect Alabama to slaughter Notre Dame, to be honest. But doesn't matter. And, Who do you want to see? And to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure that Alabama wouldn't slaughter Cincinnati. I, I think the gap between right, so three you got and two four. slaughterations. Well, they so give you me Notre Dame. Notre Dame. <laughs> they got more fans. <laughs> <laughs> they clearly do. Notre Dame is the biggest of the big when it comes to the fan base. We Catholics love Notre Dame. I see what you did there. Well, it's a fact. I think when they talk expanding you. the committee, or when they, they talk about expanding the playoff, the reason that they talk about six games and not eight is everybody's nervous about what one versus eight is going to look like. <laughs> it's just like, is this really is this playoff going to look good, or is one just going to annihilate eight year after year? LSU, would they have annihilated the eighth-best team last year? Probably, yes. So if you want to go along those lines, eventually, no, because eventually, who was it that beat Virginia? Mm-hmm. I don't even remember who it was, but I know it was the first one and 16 to lose. Okay, yeah. So they came back, and uh, was that on the air, Eric? I hope if it wasn't, say it. 
Say it on the air. Get yourself some pub. Go ahead. Say it. It was UMBC, right? University of Maryland. Maryland, Baltimore County. County, yep. Yes. So they did it. Now Virginia came back and won it all the following season. But the point being, eventually a one would beat an eight. Now it took how many years for that to happen? How many years has there been uh, 16 seeds who have been going on, what, 30? What did they change it in the mid-80s? Is that what it was? Yeah. And so, yeah, so it happened. So it would happen at some point, especially in a one-game situation, you know, best of series, probably not. But I get your point. Uh, but yet I'd still watch. I know. That's why I would go ahead and go to eight, because I would still watch. Yeah. <clears throat> I would still, still watch. Still be interested. You'd root for Cinderella, and some years would be a blowout. But guess what? We still watch the semifinals, and look at the scores of most of these semis have been blowouts. I think there have been a few good ones, but I think, didn't we have an overtime? Was it last year, two years ago? Uh, but there, there's a bunch of them that have been 20 and 30 and 35-point games. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we watch them anyway. All right, DJ and PK, we've got to take a break. When we come back, a long career comes to a close because Father Time is undefeated. But what is the legacy? We will get to that coming up. A reminder, the Road Home Mediathon continues right now. Uh, you can house someone for less than 20 bucks. You can uh, house one person for one night. You can call right now and donate. Operators are standing by. And they've got a match, so they'll, uh, they'll double your donation. 801 801- 819-7300. 801-819-7300. You can donate online at theroadhome.org. And uh, PK, you can get a Christmas concert with Kurt Bester. He will Zoom you. He will Zoom you your own private Christmas concert. That's an auction item up for bid at theroadhome.org. Cool. Yeah, there you go. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's the best station, period. Utah's longest-running, highest-rated sports radio show. This is DJ and PK, presented by Mark Miller Subaru on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK, Kyle Beckerman made it official. He retired yesterday. Uh, He said it was a pretty straightforward decision. He was at peace with it. He was playing a lot less. He's at a position where he's probably three or four years older than even the older guys playing that position. So it was kind of trending this way over the last uh, season and a half. So he hangs it up, a guy who uh, captained the 2009 MLS Cup champions and played for the U.S. in the World Cup when they got out of group play in 2014 in Brazil and uh, started all three of those games uh, for the U.S. So that, that's an awesome career. And he signed really young. He was a teenager. So he ended up 18. playing 21 years. Yeah, I think that he is the RSL version of John Stockton. I know that's outrageous to some, but if you step back and look at uh, all that he's accomplished, particularly this team, you know, it was uh, the Jazz – existed before John, but they didn't really exist to the level. And RSL didn't, and, and, and he brought it into existence, basically, and it's been there all this time. Now, this organization has gone through so much change of late, and that's not good. But yet he's the constant. You could count on him being out there on that field, watching him. I told you years ago when my daughter – had an opportunity, was it Costco or someplace? I don't even remember where. 
She had an opportunity to meet him. And he was gracious and accommodating. And she latched on to the guy. I mean, that's what it's about. He was the identity of the franchise. And to step away, and I like the way he said it, too. It wasn't a hard decision. And to talk about someone being at peace, and, you know, you're 38 years old in a league in a position that's uh, virtually built upon your legs, you can understand that's hard to continue that way. And he's stepping away with, I would imagine, zero regrets and having pretty much accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish. And this, this organization, you know, as far as fan interest, is very good, and he's a significant reason as to why it is very good. You know, one thing he said was that he remembered he was with Colorado before he got traded, and he remembered uh-huh. coming over here to play, and he said, and I knew the fan base here was different. It was, it was good. And he paused and he laughed. He goes, the team wasn't good. <laughs> but the fan base was good. So he was excited when he got traded here. And, uh, you know, they had a group of guys, and you get in like a three- to five-year run, and you do a lot of winning, and it just really turned things around. Because they didn't do Mm -hmm. much winning before he got here. He's right. The team wasn't good before he got here. Uh, But he was one of those group of guys who, who turned it around. Right. I think he goes down as an institution. I don't know what his plans are, if he wants to go into broadcasting or management or just go chill in Cancun for uh, a good while. But, uh, you know, you would like to see if he's interested. Not all these guys, they're not always interested. Obviously, the statues really didn't get back into it whatsoever. They've gone on and, and lived their lives, and that's fine. Hornacek wants to be a coach. Uh, I think he's an assistant. Is he assistant down at Houston someplace? I, th- I thought I read he got hired somewhere in the offseason. Did work here a little bit for, for the Jazz. But if he wants to, you'd like to think that maybe they could find a spot for him, particularly because they've gone through so much change and changes ahead some more. We know in the coming weeks that the uh, franchise is going to be sold, yeah. right? That's probably going to be, what, January, February? Something will kick as far as that goes. But they need to find a way to get some more stability because I think that's been one of the problems, as it is in any franchise. We've talked about this a million times over, that you cannot have constant change from a management perspective and expect it to not reflect poorly out on the field. You know, certainly change is coming, and they have had a lot of change. You know, the the coach every three years, the GM and all that, and now you're going to have an ownership change. And I think the date is January 8th that MLS can take over the sale. And I would expect something to happen pretty quickly after that. Kyle uh, was asked about that. And, you know, Doors, he says, you know, I'm open to stuff. Uh, He says, and then he said something that kind of caught my ear. He goes, things change pretty quickly in soccer. And, you know, we're Zooming from home, all these interviews, right? So I get on the group chat, and then uh, we got to do a one-on-one with him later, like an hour later. And so I'm at home, so my wife hears it. And, and my wife has written and done a gazillion interviews, worked in newspapers and in radio over the years. And she said as soon as done, she goes, did you hear him say that about things changed pretty quickly in soccer? She goes, that thing jumped out at me right away. It's like he kind of knows what he's going to do, and he just doesn't want to say it right now. <laughs> like, you may well be right. What does that mean? That he knows who the next owner is going to be, and they've already got some role picked out for him. Okay. That's, you know, I mean, we can't guarantee you that, but if you read between the lines, you've heard people over time say stuff and think, okay, that means something going forward. I don't know exactly what it means, but that means something going forward. And it may also mean that he's talked to multiple clubs 
because he wants to stay in Utah. His wife is from Utah. Yeah. But, but Javier Morales wanted to stay in Utah, and he ended up, and he's coaching in Miami. And I think he's in their academy. You know, so, hey, I'm going to wait for the sale. And if we get something here, you know, depending on the new owner, if he wants to hire me, then I'll do something here. But if not, there are these people at other clubs I know, and I'll go oh, do yeah, something yeah, yeah. there. So maybe that's what he's alluding to. I mean, he didn't, he didn't spell it out, so I can't guarantee anything. But it's, you know, he's had conversations with people, and maybe there is no done deal. But maybe he feels like there's three or four things that are 70 or 80% done, and once he knows, I, I really think his first priority would be to be involved with RSL and stay in Utah. His wife's from here. Her family's here. You know, I, I don't know if she still does. For a while, his wife's sister worked for the Jazz. You know, so um, I think Utah is far and away his first priority. Well, I think what I would do, I would hire him as a play-by-play guy on television. Ah, good one. <laughs> I knew that would end up there somehow. All right, hey, we got to take a break. We're a little late here. Dylan Colley is coming up next. Wide receiver, former wide receiver for BYU. We'll talk bowl game in UCF with him. See what he thinks of that 41-38, uh, 41-37 prediction. We'll get to Dylan coming up. Frank Dolce is going to join us at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.